0: Welcome to Pass It On with CWR Talent. I'm CWR, and this is my podcast. Dedicated to our aspiring leaders and mentors in hospitality and entertainment, what's my gig? Discover talent and pass it on. I'm a headhunter with a twist. The greatest fulfillment of what we do is not only based on followers, clients, and supporters. It's also based on how many people we inspire, compelled to action, and ultimately, move towards getting out of the way of their own success. Listen to my seriously successful business leaders pass it on with their best advice, what's required to succeed, how to gain resilience and balance in your career, and how to prepare now by fine tuning your emotional intelligence in order to lead at the top levels. Please subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice to receive updates on new episodes. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, and loads more. Subscribe and then pass it on. We appreciate it. Welcome, I'm CWR. And on today's pod, I'd like to take apart the concept of company culture and explain the drivers of total employee motivation. It will surprise you. And then I'd like to bring in our guest to help look at the wider perspective on company culture, an expert in human resources strategy and culture in hospitality, David Lamon. How often have you heard the word culture come up in strategy meetings for talent discovery and development? It's that intangible thing that everyone wants to find in their employment, but no one can accurately describe what it really is. Some CEOs think it's their intuition or an environment. Some think it's a mission or a vision, or feelings that that engenders. Our business leaders believe in a strong company culture for a path to success, yet few know how to build a unique one from scratch. Or can you? I think we can, and it's all a matter of perspective. All leadership teams bring a bit of their past with them, including their previous company cultures. So what is created has been done before, just more or less successfully. How does a person buy into a designed culture? How does one adapt to a new and different culture if it's mostly in line with your values? Or must it be a complete and utter fit for you to feel comfortable? Let's get into it. Having worked for some of the strongest brands and company cultures in the world, Ernst & Young, the Walt Disney Company, the Ascot Group, and others, I found the analysis of a company culture to be key to approaching my responsibilities in human resources and talent discovery, delivering the most motivational environment possible for the business. Break it down into its most fundamental bits and find the impact on the bottom line. It's what drives company performance. If you can answer these three questions, you can help to transform culture from a mystery to a science. How does culture drive performance? What is culture worth? What processes in an organization affect culture. After speaking to hospitality and entertainment executives and staff from the Disney-centric Orlando, Florida, to the five-star luxury corridors of the Palace Hotels in Paris, France, over to the massive development to tourism in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, at CWR Talent, we came to one conclusion. Why we work determines how well we work. The six main reasons people work are Play, purpose, potential, emotional pressure, economic pressure, and inertia. Academics have always studied why people work for nearly a century, but why do companies continue to impose a culture on teams rather than recruit for the culture? When you can distinguish the six main reasons why people work, you're halfway there. The work of many researchers has found that the first three motives tend to increase performance, while the latter three hurt it. Play is when you're motivated by the work itself. You work because you enjoy it. Purpose is when the direct outcome of the work fits your identity. You work because you value the work's impact. Potential is when the outcome of the work benefits your identity. In other words, the work enhances your potential. Since these three motives are directly connected to the work itself in some way, you can think of them as direct motives. They will improve performance to different degrees. Here are the indirect motives that tend to reduce performance. Emotional pressure is when you work because some external force threatens your identity. If you've ever used guilt to compel a loved one to do something, you've inflicted emotional pressure. Fear, peer pressure, forms of shame are all emotional pressure. When you do something to avoid disappointing yourself or others, you're acting on emotional pressure. This motive is completely separate from the work itself. Economic pressure is when an external force makes you work. You work to gain a reward. You've got to pay the bills. Now the motive is not only separate from the work itself, it's also separate from your identity. And finally, Inertia is when the motive is so far removed from the work and your identity that you can't even identify why you're working. Some people say, I don't know, I'm doing it because I did it yesterday and the day before, and that signals inertia. It's still a motive because you're actually doing the activity, you just can't explain why. Indirect motives reduce performance because you can no longer focus on the work. You're obsessing over the disappointment or the reward or why you're still doing this job at all. You're distracted and dissatisfied. My experience in evaluation of high-performing cultures has taught me this and shows that those employers who maximize the play, the purpose, and the potential felt by its people and minimizes the emotional pressure economic pressure, and inertia. They get it right for most people. This is known as creating total motivation. Motivation of human beings in your business is there for everything. Let's get there. So what is your culture worth? Creating a business case for culture is not impossible. While it's difficult to measure whether someone is being creative, proactive, or or resilient in the moment, it's actually not difficult to calculate total motivation. Using those six questions, one for each of these six motives, you can easily see where we're falling short and course-correct and then determine the impact on performance. Cultures that inspired more play, purpose, and potential and made certain that the house management style inflicted less emotional pressure, economic pressure, and inertia. These cultures produce better customer outcomes. This plays out in retail, banking, telecommunications, and the fast food industry as well. And the impact isn't limited to customer satisfaction. What processes in an organization affect culture? Well, ask managers how they would define a high-performing culture, and most don't have a great definition. Or they confuse it with vision statements or values. Here is one. Culture is the set of processes in an organization that affects the total motivation of its people. In a high-performing culture, those processes maximize the total motivation. And when we measured how different processes affect employees' total motivation, we learned a couple of things. There's no silver bullet, but you can vastly improve your score. The difference between a well-designed and a poorly designed process is more than 50% of your motivation levels. And based on a survey done by Harvard Business Review, here's how particular processes fared in the total motivation overall of a manager. And while we think it's leadership that has the biggest impact on a culture, other processes can have a much bigger impact. For the sake of brevity, here are three things that hold the most importance for a manager from this survey. Role design. 87% of a person's total motivation is role design and how their role in the show is perceived. Organizational identity is 65%. Clear career ladders, 63%. And this is when we get it right. When companies get it wrong, these same factors can destroy motivation if handled poorly, Or with non-motivational processes that are too complicated clunky too difficult or frankly not rewarding where it counts what leaders can do is hire a total motivation strategist to look at your organization and analyze these drivers to see where you're going where you're doing well and where you're not looking at all these processes together it's clear that culture is the operating system of an organization Senior leaders can build and maintain a high-performing culture by teaching managers to lead in highly motivating ways. From this analysis, CEOs should make a business case for culture with a budget and enlist HR and business leaders to improve the elements that affect culture, from the role redesign to new ways to measure performance. A great culture is not easy to build. It's why high-performing cultures have such a powerful competitive advantage. Your entire leadership must buy into it for it to work. That's a task in itself, as every organization is carrying past recruitment mistakes that are not aligned to the culture and somehow deliver. Yet organizations that build great cultures are able to meet the demands of the fast-paced, customer-centric digital world we live in. More and more organizations are beginning to realize that culture can't be left to chance. Leaders have to treat culture building as an engineering discipline and not a magical one, although it can be like magic when it's done well. It's why I'd like to welcome to Pass It On with CWR Talent, one of my network's most respected company culture experts in the industry, David Lamon. David is a longtime client and candidate within our wonderful hotel industry, where he served as chief human resources officer for major hotel brands. He currently manages Laman HRM based in Athens, Greece, and provides strategic HR consultation expertise to various investors or operators for specific projects when more punctual advisory is needed. I'd like to ask David to share with us some insight into how we can shape who we are as a company around these three top motivators we've discovered or any others we've missed and create that wonderful ecosystem called a culture. Welcome back, David. Thanks again for joining me on Pass It On. Hey, Corinne, how are you doing? Great to
1: be invited for a second go. Um, Must have done something okay the first time to have the privilege of coming back again, so thank you.
0: Yes, indeed. David, tell our listeners, what have you learned about how motivators affect our attitude, our performance, and, and our progress in a company?
1: Yeah, look, it was a great uh, sort of research article that uh, you were sort of referring to in uh... those motivators. um, And I I wanted to talk about that a little bit to start off actually, which is, um, you know, a a sort of an academic expression, which is research is weird, if you've ever heard that before. Mm -hmm. And weird means is actually an acronym. It stands for the participants in surveys who, who contribute to research or the organization is Western people are educated from industrialized nations are comparatively rich nations and democratic nations so we should always take these things uh, with a grain of salt to say hey to what extent does this research apply um, particularly where you're crossing national borders and and cultural um, borders as well so you know, if you if you're interested a little bit more about that, I'd always recommend someone and get in and read uh, Hofstede and pieces around cultural dimensions and how cultures can be measured differently and where different, uh, particularly different nationalities could fit on those spectrums of cultural dimensions. And with the six main ones being like power distance relationships, um, mm-hmm. individualism versus collectivism, masculine cultures versus feminine cultures the uncertainty avoidance as an index, long-term focus versus short-term focus and indulgence versus restraint. And I think you can probably map cultures, but you can also probably map yourself against those on those spectrums as well. Mm-hmm. And if you keep in mind that research is weird, then um, maybe you can sort of you know, tweak it or, or see how it applies to wherever you are in the world and wherever you're working as you said interesting discussion interesting uh content from the the research piece and and it comes down to three words play purpose and potential according to this this research and yep absolutely they are motivators would challenge whether they're the right words to be using to define it because um I'm not sure if you're a senior leader and you want to go and change organization culture and, and your, your opening line is, Hey guys, let's play some more. Um, you may not find not.
0: um, not. I think it's just the principle they're talking about is that when, when, when there is a fun element to people's workplace, like the Walt Disney company does so well. Yeah. and, And that, and it's true. It works.
1: You know, having an enjoyment level in your job is, is, is nice. It's important. Um, but i would also say you know something around the meaningfulness of work is important too not every task that you do is enjoyable or even can be enjoyable but that doesn't doesn't mean it's less important you know sort of not relevant there are i think in every job you know elements that are enjoyable and elements that are not enjoyable but overall you know when you're in a nice workplace yeah it's it is it is motivating um and
0: i people think a lot of that comes that down to people find purpose there. in that and people find purpose in that as well
1: yeah absolutely absolutely you know purpose is you know as it comes across in um you know in that research is around you know sort of opportunity i guess you're working towards a higher purpose I do find that uh, you know where you have opportunities for career progression, opportunities for you know sort of growth, whether that be you know emotional growth, knowledge growth, career growth, even income growth, I think they are an important element of creating a, a successful workplace. You know, yeah. you could research this further as well and you know we see organizations that highly have highly engaged workforces through you know there are various engagement survey methodologies um typically are more successful you know and that's um you know linked to profitability and linked to you know share prices as well
0: mm-hmm.
1: i do think though that you know sort of putting it into those three words you know can be challenging to define you know how does that relate to my situation as a manager as a leader how do i translate this into my you know, so how does it manifest itself into my behaviors or the actions or the policies or processes that I put in place. Mm. Um, You know, that's unique to every, every workplace. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always one thing that I found in every job, or in every organization that I've ever worked in that what is what makes a place enjoyable, what makes work meaningful, and also you know, provides you with that potential is actually relationships, having good relationships and investing time in relationships. And that's something that uh, I think, you know, and this is sort of maybe a a flippant expression, but maybe we're not as good good at it as we used to be.
0: That's quite possible. I've heard that before where, you know, people's, as people's mindsets and outlooks change, everybody's result changes in the end as well.
1: Mm, Yeah, absolutely. You know, 10 or 20 years ago, we talked about intrinsic motivators, motivators and extrinsic motivators, you know, the extrinsic ones being pay and, you know, environment and safety and those sort of things. And the intrinsic ones was, you know, what we're talking about here, enjoyment and purpose. I I still would never disregard those extrinsic motivators either. It's all, um, I think, a balance between between those extrinsic and intrinsic
0: and 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 talking on this uh, small issue of role design which i was really quite surprised by as i said you know in my yeah. intro i was quite surprised to find that even amongst a different uh, mindset or a different academically equivalent group i would find that role design you know which brings us all back to the ego and and how people see themselves in what their role is in the show so to speak and so mm. I don't know why 87% of people, even in this survey would have said uh, that role design was the primary motivator for them, that it you know, was real important to them. And I was quite surprised by that. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I'm maybe less surprised.
1: I mean, uh, job descriptions. I mean, that's you know, probably a foundational piece of role design and they're awful things. <laughs> yes i hate them <laughs> you know they are they put you in a box they're limiting they're rigid and they're usually poorly written they're usually you know often not relevant to what you actually end up doing and their task base it's basically a, a list of things tasks that you do you know should you know and in many g- good organizations as well you know role design has has replaced job design or job descriptions and if you had if you design roles that are outcome based that have an element of flexibility in them um, that talk about you know relational outcomes and behavioral outcomes and are you know sort of a little bit more qualitative and and probably cross-functional as well which is you know if you you surveyed your generations across a workplace you will find that you know, going back to your previous question of you know, opportunity or potential, you know, a lot of people don't want to be saying, OK, I work in finance or I work in marketing or I work in IT. And and that's the only role or you know career stream that I'm ever going to have. You know, I might oh, yes. have found people, myself people in people IT, but I've got that. a real passion for marketing.
0: And this is why the idea on role design, once I realized how unusual that I thought it was that it came up that that many people felt that this was an issue that in fact people's roles and how they're perceived by everyone seems to be more important than it ever was and so maybe they're looking at a it's true i agree with you totally david about job descriptions they're horrific and and the sooner they die a death and don't come back the better as far as i'm concerned but Mm. how do you then design a role like you said with maybe a removable variable component that every person can select an area mm. to work in for maybe 25% of their time that's not related to their job description that would give them some fulfillment perhaps.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, where you have cross-functional elements and, you know, and, and a, a very good strategy around this is just having work groups, you know, within your organization where you bring groups of people together, you know, it could be a challenge, could be an issue, could be an opportunity within the organization and you bring a work group together. And you get engaged in in tasks or you know, sort of strategies or you know challenges that are well out of your field, but you know you probably your experience is relevant. You know I've hired people in my team because they had no experience in that task because they bring a a brand new
0: perspective for something. Indeed, and an organizational identity that leads us into that. Uh, second item that was listed as far as being very important to these managers is what kind of identity their organization has. Yeah. And, and you know, we buy into an organization's projected identity long before we accept an offer from them. We're, you know, we're buying into their whole ethos and, and, and their brand and what it all represents to us. Yeah. And we naturally gravitate towards one type or another of company or brand. It's personal. And from your mm. perspective, David, why is the organization's identity so impactful on a, ma- on a manager's motivation? And what hmm. does it, what kind of need does it feed?
1: Well, let me turn the tables on you a little bit, Corinne. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. So uh, let's say you're, you know, you, you're uh, an automotive industry person. So, you know, what, if you could work for any car company, what, what car company would you like to work for? McLaren, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you know where okay. I live, so don't say anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know where you live. Um, great, but how do you know it's a good place to work? I don't. So you've 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 sort of caught into that. Oh, the the you know they've got fast, sexy cars. Um, that's something I would like to be associated with.
0: I'd love to get involved with any kind of an F one. Hmm remotely related company. And there's one up the road and I don't have to go far.
1: <laughs> I used to ask that you know, a fair bit um, in, uh, you know, with my team or if I was doing a, a seminar or something, you know, and I'd say, you know, if you could work for Toyota or BMW, which one would you work for? And, you know, 90% uh, of the people would say BMW, Ah. Uh, you know, but, but Toyota actually has a better reputation as an employer it's not to say bmw's bad by the way but it's just say that you know toyota invests you know well in their training development workplace culture etc and um you know, has i've read articles where it's been proposed as a better as a better place to work but it's not interesting
0: as... i've never heard anything about mclaren for example being you know a good mm. or a bad employer either way i think mm. you know reasonably it seems. Uh, yeah. pretty positive but let's make it perfectly clear as far as F1 goes I'm a Max Verstappen fan <laughs>
1: um yeah I'm a Daniel Ricciardo fan because uh he's from my hometown in Perth in Australia
0: oh right, right that's right that's yeah. right but you know we, <laughs> we go afield here because there comes where would you work but what what do you think you know why does an organization's identity you know mean so much to so many people hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, the companies invest a lot of money in brand. I don't think they invest as well or nowhere near as much, obviously, in employer or employee branding. I think it's very rare for a company to have, I mean, companies have uh, departments around, you know, communications and marketing, but rarely would they have internal communications and internal marketing. Mm -hmm. But... um, I think it comes down to, hey, I'm, I associate myself with this brand because I I eat it, drink it, wear it, drive it, ride on it, you know, and, uh, and it gives me a, you know, a coolness. The same in the hospitality industries. When I was working for, you know, Starwood and Marriott, both organizations, I would always hear this expression, you know, oh, I'm a W kind of person or I'm a... I'm a La Meridian kind of person, or I'm a Ritz-Carlton mm-hmm. person. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. okay, that's, that's great, you know. Uh, but that's what you're identifying yourself with, is the public face of the brand, not necessarily the employment face of the brand. Like, I, I think this is really challenging area, because, you know, a lot of organizations today will put out uh, statements around, you know, their employee relations culture or their charitable philanthropic culture or their environmental credentials and you know i think these are mm. right things to say they're important things to say but they're high risk things to say you know because what it really comes down to is are you just putting something out there for you know public consumption the public being you know your customers and yours and your associates um, and can you walk it can you walk that talk You know, can you live up to those Mm. expectations? And I think that's really difficult when you're a a larger organization. You know, maybe not everyone is as connected with the values that uh, an organization is proposing. So probably incredibly even more challenging for organizations that are publicly listed where some of those values or associations may not be, you know, have a direct correlation to the bottom line of an organization.
0: Precisely. That's that's the difficulty. As far as, you know, walking the talk, I agree with you there. A, a lot of companies say a lot of things and and, and and all the candidates that I ever talk to say the same thing to me. They say, yes, people say this, they say that, but really, you know, and then they look for examples and then they speak to other people. And I think, you know, as you and I both know, the people are the mouthpiece of your employer image, and it's, it's all about walking that talk. And I don't think everyone does it. And I think some people do it really well. Yeah. I think
1: where I've seen it uh, work well is, you know, if like executive leadership, you know, create a strategy and say, you know, we're, we're an environmentally focused company as, a, as, a, as an example or analogy, um, I think you're less likely to be successful unless it's a grassroots movement of your employees who are coming up with the strategy and if you build it from the ground up rather than you know sort of forcing it from the top down then mm. then i think you'll have you know that full engagement and it will become part of the culture of the organization rather than just being another strategy or another initiative and whatever mm. that value is that, that 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 organization wants to have
0: Exactly. Now, you know, as to the, the idea about people wanting clear career ladders, sometimes the, the role you may land it actually is the destination and a culmination of a career's direction. So the career ladder may plateau, but opens up a wealth of opportunity to build the next leadership's platform. In your experience, David, do most managers actually know what their c- clear career path will be when they join a company or is it a finger in the wind or or just best practices
1: oh you ask me today and i'll say yes and you ask me tomorrow i'll say no um, <laughs> i had a um a friend or he was a, a colleague that i worked with actually a competitor of yours Corinne, actually in the past and we would have the conversation it usually it's around you know sort of recruitment and um you know we would talk about a vacancy or a candidate or something you know that we were working on together and we had this little sort of ongoing joke with each other you know and a bit of banter and uh, he would say always at the end of every conversation whether it's a face-to-face meeting or a telephone call and is there anything else i can do for you and i would always mm. say you know with a little sparkle in the eye i'd say yeah find me the best job in the world
0: And his his (laughs) reply
1: was always the same. And it said, one day, you may realize you already have it. Yes. And uh, I thought, wow, yeah, that's uh, until you you don't have something is when you you realize that, realize what you had. But I think, it, you depends, know. it
0: depends where people really want to go. And then, yeah. you know, not everybody has the same direction, but it's true that sometimes you're already in the role that shows a a lifetime of work, hard work to get there. And I think this is something that needs to be celebrated probably a lot more often. But yeah. then there's the people that want to arrive at a company, but know what's their angle? How is the company going to develop them forward? And what is their clear career path? And I think this is kind of like a foggy area. Hmm.
1: Look, it is because it's some, you know, career, your aspirations can be objective or subjective. So, you know, the danger that you have here is that you get into these sort of public service linear type uh, situations where, you know, sort of your career path is, is like a like a funnel, you know, upwards only. So, you know, if if you had a career ambition to say my career ambition is I would like to travel the world. Not, I want to be a general manager or I want to be a vice president or something. So, you know, how does a, an organization deal with that? Mm-hmm. So career paths, you know, great idea, helpful to a degree. But if you treat everyone in the same fashion that the, the career path is an upwards trajectory in the in the same discipline that you've always worked in, then you may find that people will fall off the career ladder and they'll go and choose alternative careers or alternative jobs.
0: Which we're seeing so, more and more of these days.
1: Yeah. And it's difficult if you are in a meritocracy, you know, type organization where, you know, you sort of, I think back to, you know, some of the older, older models of public service, you know, where if you work in this job for three years, you will get a promotion. You know, it doesn't mean that you were any good at your job for three years. Maybe the person who's got five years less experience is better suited. But I I would steer away from, I'd individualize it, basically. You know, if you have good, you know, mentoring programs and uh, career counseling programs, and, and we go back to that conversation around functional exposure and, you know job design or role design that allows cross functionality then you can tailor something but just because you enter a job or a career or an organization as a junior accountant doesn't mean you want to be the chief financial officer it could mean Correct. that your goal is to be you know the chief marketing officer or your goal is um, i want to be a good mum, or i want to be a good dad that could be your career goal and you're in this job to facilitate that. So, exactly. if you set these structures around career pathing, then you know you may be in for you know a moderately successful outcome. So, again, I, I would speak about individualizing and you know tailoring based on you know what whatever your aspiration is, so it doesn't necessarily have to be job related. But as with everything that we talk, of, we've spoken about today, you know, design of roles or motivators, career paths, you know, what is the most important element of your role in any organization? It always comes down to relationships. And that exactly. is having good relationships, maintaining them and creating them, you know, with people that uh, you get on well with and also the people that may be less well. But, uh, you know, managing your relationships and developing them, you know, is, is probably critical to, you know, your happiness, your self-esteem, your relationship, and probably your career success as well.
0: Thank you. I believe that, David. I've got one last question for you. Well, this Who's wasn't been, on the list. This is not on the list. Well, who oh, no, exactly. has been your most impactful mentor in your career? Ah. Um,
1: there's been several. You know, someone who... I guess you know I was working in London as a HR manager of a of a smallish hotel near Heathrow I met the head of HR for Hilton and she was based in Singapore her name was Rosie Hollis um mm-hmm. and you know we still are connected today and we still have a chat every now and then but she was probably the most inspirational leader in my discipline that I've ever met and she was able to connect, um, connect at all levels. And I guess that's always been a guide for me as to, you know, if you want to be successful, then very much like like many roles, but, you know, and also the general manager of a hotel is a great example. Able to connect with, you know, every level of, of employee and every level of customer and every level of owner. You know, you've got to be able to really stretch, you know. Um, stretch your skills to to be successful in those roles. But yeah, she was uh, the most influential. And I think part of that is because she made sure that HR always had the voice. And I think in some organizations, HR does not have the voice that it needs to.
0: Oh yes, and that I can agree to for sure. This has been a very enlightening discussion. That's a great story. And and I'd like to thank you for coming on to Pass It On and sharing some more of your insight into all these things, people. And we could go yeah. on forever, David.
1: Absolutely, yeah, for sure. Absolutely, yeah, for sure.
0: Well, it's been a pleasure again.
1: Um, and, uh, yeah, maybe look forward to a third time sometime in the future. But, uh And congratulations on these uh, podcasts, Corinne. They're interesting, enjoyable, and, uh, yeah, I think, you know, inspiring to many people. So congratulations to you as
0: well. Thank you, and you'll be back.
1: Take care. Bye for now. Take
0: care. Bye. And a big thank you to our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this topic and will give us a like, a follow and a ding ding for notifications on the platform of your choice. We appreciate your support for our initiative at CWR Talent to reach more aspiring leaders and mentors. If you'd like to reach out to our guests, let us know and we'll pass it on. A final shout out to Nancy Sharp, artist-in-chief of the Cider House Studio, who provided the art for our pages. Nancy makes art that makes people happy. I know it does me. Thanks, Nancy. See you soon.